following teaching is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. It is good to be here this morning. Um, my wife is here as well. Vicki's here. She works with me. Yeah, give her a round of applause. She is the administrative assistant um, slash uh, volunteer coordinator slash slash slash. You know, she runs the place. Let's just admit it, and uh, the rest of us just kind of work there. Um, but we uh, we have we're delighted to be here. Um, Hope Again is a transitional housing, for those of you that may not know, and we're just going to assume for a moment that maybe there's a few here who know very little about Hope Again, where it's a, it's a transitional housing program for the homeless in the Hollywood area and really all of greater Los Angeles. Um, we bring people in, we get them from prison, we get them from the streets, uh, we get uh, drug addicts, we get people who are homeless because of the uh, current economic situation, um, we get Sometimes we get um, women who have been abused. We get women who maybe have been forced out of their home for one reason or another. Uh, the same with men. So we have a, a, a variety of reasons as to why people come to us. Sometimes pastors and other churches refer people to us, sometimes other programs. Uh, we work uh, closely actually with House of Blessing that Carol has started uh, recently. And we sometimes the person will fit better in her program than in our program or vice versa. And we exchange people back and forth. So... Excuse me. We're fairly well connected in the Hollywood area and uh, have had a lot of great stories and a lot of great ministries. And we'll get to those, I hope, at least a few of those uh, this morning. They told me that I have until 2 o'clock. And so um, they just said, you'll all leave about a quarter after 12. But I can just keep going if I want to. So depends. I might just do that. Before coming to Hope Again, I pastored uh, churches for about 30 years uh, in Iowa and here in Southern California. So... Uh, you, there's a little bit of preacher in me that uh, doesn't get to preach quite as often as I used to. And so, you know, when you get a chance and you have an audience, you never know how long you might be here. So, but I see Pastor Tim back there, so I've got to be a little more careful. So I'll try to, try to hold it down. Jeremiah 29. I would love you to turn to that chapter of God's Word, if you would, this morning. I think as we come together for a Sunday school hour, and even if it's a missions hour and a time when we're essentially kind of reporting on what we do, I think it's incredibly important that we spend time in God's Word as well. Uh, It's important for us to do that on a regular basis, and certainly when we come to gather in in God's church and gather together, we ought to open His Word, and that should be our jumping-off place uh, into whatever else we're doing. So hopefully you found that. Allow me to open us in prayer for just a moment, and then we'll uh, dig into God's Word. Father, thank you. Uh, for this day. What an incredible opportunity to come together uh, to learn from you, uh, to learn a little bit about some things going on in the world, but certainly, Father, we want to hear from you this morning. And so we ask that your spirit move among us, uh, that you would open our eyes, uh, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, as well as uh, our physical eyes, that we might see that which you have for us this morning. We know, Father, that as we come to your word, that apart from your spirit opening up to us, it's just It's just difficult for us to grasp everything that's there. So 
Uh, would you work in our lives this morning? Would you um, help us to see all that you want us to see? And we will give you the glory and we will give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2010, a man by the name of was fired from his job. He had at one time worked in the engineering world back on the East Coast. He had, a couple of years before this, transferred to Los Angeles area, had a good job in a good, in a good company, uh, but he had a little bit of a difficulty with uh, alcohol. Um, he continued to drink a little bit too much, and eventually it began to affect his work, and in 2010, they, they let him go. Uh, they fired him from the job because of his alcoholism. It wasn't too long after that, and he received notice that he was also going to be evicted from his apartment because he could no longer pay the rent or could no longer keep it up. And so he made this statement, and he, he made it in a, in a publication that was uh, people that read his story and, and published his story. He said, I, I refuse to be homeless. There is no way in the world I was going to be homeless. I would rather kill myself than be homeless. And so being an engineer, he calculated exactly how much money he had in the bank and how long he could pay his rent, buy his groceries, and buy his booze. And when that money ran out, he had a plan. And so one day, he woke up, and and in fact, the money was gone. The food was now eaten. He ate his last breakfast, drank his last little bit of booze, walked out of his apartment door, and went down to the metro station at Hollywood and Vine, walked down, took the escalator down, took the flight of stairs down to the platform by the train, and when the train came by, he threw himself in front of the train. His intent was to kill himself. The next thing he remembers, he says, is that he was laying on the ground looking up at the bottom of the train. And in his mind, he said, all I could think of in my mind was, oh, I can't even do this right. And and then the shock and everything of the accident uh, put him back into a coma and he went uh, the next time he woke up was several days maybe a couple of weeks later in the hospital eventually well we'll talk about his story later on but i want i want to i want to ask this a question if if we have ever had in our lives difficult circumstances now i would say that's a difficult circumstance uh getting to the place where you're just you you can see no alternative in life but to end it is certainly a difficult circumstance. But I think as believers in Jesus Christ, we have difficult circumstances. I think the, the whole idea of the, of the missions conference, of this conference where the, where the theme is that of training and discipleship, I think if we don't at some point in the process of training and in the process of discipleship teach one another how to handle difficult circumstances, we've missed part of the process. Because I don't know of any believer that I've ever run into that hasn't faced a difficult day or a difficult week or a difficult month or a difficult year. As we look back on hope again, this has been a difficult year, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we get towards the end of this. But has anyone not had a difficult time in their life? Everything has just gone perfectly smooth? If a hand goes up, I'm going to sit down, and you're going to take over. Uh, we all face it. It might, be, it might be that you go to the doctor one day, you haven't been feeling too well, you go to the doctor, they run some tests, and they find out that you've got stage 4 cancer. All of a sudden, your life is completely turned around. You maybe come home one day and you find out that a a dear loved one has just passed away in an accident. All of a sudden your life turns from 
going pretty well to turning into a pretty difficult circumstance. Now with Facebook and all of the social media, you might find out that all of your friends at school have somehow kind of scammed you on Facebook and you're, and things have, they've spread rumors about you and all of a sudden what seemed like going to school on an easy day if you're in high school becomes a very difficult and very trying time. The, the, the multiple aspects of difficulty and challenge and circumstances that are difficult are innumerable, are they not? People that come to Hope Again oftentimes have faced incredible circumstances. We see more and more today who simply lost it because of the economy. They had a job. All of a sudden, they lost the job. And pretty soon, there was no money coming in, and they could no longer make the house payment. And pretty soon, their house is being taken away from them, has gone into foreclosure. They live in the car for a while, but then there's no money for car payments, and the car is all of a sudden taken from them as well, and they are literally, in a matter of months, they are literally from working to homeless. Nowhere to go, and they're terrified. Can you imagine, maybe if you're single or maybe even married, all of a sudden everything is gone. The few things that you have left, you kind of found a friend to take care of or you put in storage, and you literally are living on the streets. It would scare me to death. I'd be absolutely terrified. And I am kind of chuckle about it, but it's not a funny thing at all. And many of the people just sort of hit the end of the rope and have nowhere to turn. And fortunately, there are places like Hope Again and there are places like House of Blessing and there are other places where people can get some of that help. But I want to take us today to God's Word because I think in, in God's Word there is some advice. There is some encouragement And there is some help for us as we look into his words. So Jeremiah 29, I don't know how much you know about Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, 11 is the key verse for hope again. Has been for, I don't know, a gazillion years if we've been around that long. I think we've only been around 20 or so. But uh, for most of those years, this has been the key verse. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that... That whole concept of hope and hope again and giving us a future, that's, that's really what hope again is all about. And one day I was sitting there thinking, I wonder what is around this verse. It's, if, you, if you know anything about exegesis and in this church, you probably ought to know a little bit about it. You would know that one of the first things you need to know and understand is the context. What's the context of that verse? Where is it, where is it put in the middle of? What's the paragraph look like in the chapter, in the book, and, and all of those things? And, Jeremiah gives us some great stuff here that relates to this verse before we get to this verse. Jeremiah, maybe you recall in some of your Bible training, uh, Jeremiah was probably the last prophet, one of the last prophets, at least to the southern kingdom. You remember that after Solomon, there was King Saul and then David and then Solomon. And after Solomon, the kingdom was split. And there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom never had a good king. Not a one. Every single king was wicked. Many times the scripture says he was more wicked than his father, more wicked than the one before. And so by the time uh, 722 came around, Assyria came and took the northern kingdom into captivity. And they were beginning their years of punishment because of the sin of of their days. The southern kingdom did a little bit better. They had a few good kings. They had 
I think Jehoiakim was one, and Josiah, and they had a few, they had a few good kings mixed in, and so God literally stayed his hand of judgment on the southern kingdom because of the fact that they had some good kings that brought in reform and tried to knock down all of the idols and do those things, and, and yet the truth was they would get another king in and then they'd go right back into their evil and they'd get a good one and then they'd get a bad one and go, and they were going up and down, and eventually they too were carried off into captivity. The Babylonians came and took them into Babylon in, um, in about 580 B.C. Jeremiah was one of the prophets that was left in, to deal with the southern kingdom to try and bring them back to the Lord and also to remind them that they were, they were headed into captivity. It was imminent that they were going to be into captivity. And in fact, the day came and off they were hauled into Babylon. So imagine, if you will, a, a whole nation small nation to be sure, but a whole nation living around Jerusalem and all of them literally picked up and carried off into a foreign country. The Babylonians left a few in in Jerusalem. They left a few to take care of the land. They brought in a few foreigners to kind of intermingle with them and that's where we get some of the Samaritans and there's a whole another story we could go into there. But there's all of that takes place. There's a few left, but the vast majority are hauled off into into Babylon. It's got to be one of the worst days of anybody's life. To be overcome by another country and to be just literally taken away. Never knowing if they would ever come back. Never knowing if they, once they got into captivity, if they would be slaves, what kind of slaves they would be. Would they ever have any freedom? Would they be forced to intermarry and intermingle and all of these things which would have been abhorrent to the people of that day. All of that was taking place and they had no idea. Would they ever come back? Would there ever be anything for them again? Or was this just it? And I would guess that they would have asked the same question that we often ask when circumstances get really, really tough. Where is God? Now I know that theologically we don't let ourselves answer, ask that question very often because we know that deep down, if, if we have any solid faith at all, we know that deep down God is always there. But the reality is, when we're in the midst of the circumstances and when the, when the world is falling apart around us, even though maybe our head and our theology says he's there, our heart says, where did he go? What happened to him? What's, go, what's going on here? Is there any hope in all of this? Is there anything for me to, to hang on to? Or is it pretty much over and God has said, this is it, I'm abandoning you, you're on your own. And I... I've talked to enough people in all of the years that I've pastored to know that that's a pretty, a pretty common phase, at least, that we go through at some point in the midst of difficult circumstances. We question what happened to God. I would like to encourage us that, that that's not the end. Thankfully, that's not the end of the end of the rope or the end of the world to ask that question. God is big enough to handle the question as long as we're big enough to handle the answer. Because the, the answer is he's still there. Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible. Sometimes that verse gets thrown around at the wrong times, I think. But the verse is still there. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. He is going to work something good out of this. And that is true even in Jeremiah. But let's go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah does not go into captivity. Though the rest of the nation goes, Jeremiah is left. Now, several prophets go. Uh, several people that, that are considered at least prophets, we'll talk to them about them in a few minutes, they go off to captivity with the, with the, the, 
Judaites, those of Judah, but Jeremiah does not. History, history believes, or the traditions believe, that he either ended his days in Jerusalem or he went to Egypt for a time and came back to Jerusalem and died, or he died in Egypt. And I don't, I don't know that they've ever conclusively figured that out. Um, I don't know that it really matters a great deal for us at this point. The truth, the, the, what does matter is that he didn't go. But he heard about what was going on up there. Somehow he got word back and forth. There were carriers of letters back and forth. And he heard what was going on in the, with the captives in, in Babylon. And he writes Jeremiah 29 as a letter to the captives in Babylon to encourage them. That's the context of, Je- of Jeremiah 29. We don't know if he wrote it from I- Egypt. We don't know if he wrote it from Israel. It doesn't matter so much where he wrote it from. What's important is who he wrote it to in this case. And he wrote it to those who were in captivity. So the first three verses of 29 virtually just kind of give us the postage stamp of, of how it got there. It gives it who it was addressed to, why it was addressed, what the whole deal was, and how it went from one leader to another leader to another leader and finally ended up in the hands of those who were in captivity. And at that point, the letter becomes significant because now Jeremiah is writing to those who are in captivity, those who are in difficult circumstances. If that's us, then he's writing to us. Those who are facing and struggling with tough days, whether it be an illness or whether it be a family situation. Maybe it's someone in your family who is on drugs and who is of that going through that and you've had to kind of turn your back on them and it's difficult, it's a challenge, any of those things. And so he says this, and what I want to do here, just to kind of set this up, what I want to do is there's, there's two or three things in here I think we need to pull out of here that are significant for us in terms of how they might help us. In other words, when we're facing difficult circumstances, what do we need to do? Uh, the first thing I think we need to do is embrace the circumstances. That sounds so simple, but trust me, it's not. But that is what Babylon needed, or that's what the uh, Israelites needed to do, was it not? Look at, the ver- look at verse 4, I think it is. Verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. When people come to Hope Again, one of the most, one of the first challenges we have is someone is coming into our program. They've decided to enter the program, and it's a transitional housing program, so they know that we're trying to help them move on into the next phase of life. It's transitional. It's not permanent. But one of the first things we have to help them do is to face the reality of their situation. You, you would think that would be obvious. They come to us and they're homeless. They have nothing. You'd think they would understand that. They don't. Uh, and in their defense, we deny a lot of things in our lives too. But they, they come and they'll say, well, you know, if I could just, if you could just like, if I, if I, and they kind of, you know, stutter on like that. If you could just like help me get a place to, to stay and I could have a, a, a bed for maybe like a couple of weeks, maybe a month. I'm going to get a job and I'll be back out on my own. Everything's going to be fine. All I need is your help for like, you know, three weeks, maybe a month. And we kind of hold back the chuckles. Uh, because we know that that's the farthest thing from truth that there is. And so in that first month, we'll talk to them and we'll say, now let me get, let me get this straight. And I can, I've had these conversations. I, I can almost go, they're almost like a reel that goes through my mind. So let me get this straight. You're, you're 63 years old. You haven't worked for 17 years. 
you have no computer skills, and your people skills are marginal. And you're going to have a job next week. We know PhDs who can't get a job next week. They can't even get a job pushing a hamburger from one end of the counter to the other. And you're going to have one next week. Yeah, no problem. No problem. And we go, well, you know, lots of luck. Uh, and then in six weeks, we ask them what happened. And it's kind of like, well, you know, then all of a sudden everything is everybody else's fault. And then, and then you, eventually we have to reel them in and say, look, you've got to take some ownership here. There's got to be some ownership of the situation, some ownership of the circumstances. You're homeless, and it's at least in part your fault. Not entirely. Maybe not in your case. There are some exceptions, and we'll talk about that. But you need to take ownership of this. You need to see, I'm homeless. Whoa, I don't have very many skills. I need some schooling. I need this. I need that. Whatever it is, you need to begin to embrace your circumstances. We run into people. We run into those kind of people. When I pastored, I still ran into people who were in difficult circumstances who would deny that their marriage was in trouble or deny that they had problems with their kids or deny they would refuse to see and understand the circumstance. Folks, it's not going to get better until you face what you've got. You've got to see what's going on. And that's what, what Jeremiah is saying. And beyond that, he says, not only do you need to understand the circumstances and embrace them, you need to see them from God's perspective. You not only need your perspective on this, you need God's perspective on this. Did you catch God's perspective in that verse? Those in Judah thought that Babylon had come in and had taken over the land and Babylon had carried them off into exile and pushed them into exile. What does Jeremiah say? Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into Babylon. Who put them in Babylon? It was the Babylonians, to be sure, but it was God who sent them there. And he had reasons for that. There was sin and there were, you know, all of, the, all of those things. But you've got to understand your circumstances, not only from what I'm looking at, but from what, from God's perspective of this thing to realize, you know what, this is maybe what you thought was going to happen, but I got to tell you, this is what God is going to do. Now, I mean, at this point, I don't even know what that is. But I, need to, I know that when somebody comes in, if I can get them to the place where they realize that, you know what, maybe God has me here for a reason. Now I'm getting through. Now we're getting somewhere. Because until that point, they're, they're still trying to solve everything on their own. And I'm going to tell you, when you get to that level of homelessness, that level of despair, very rarely can you solve that on your own. You need God in there. You need, you need Him to show you His plan. And it's probably going to be different than your plan. Uh, we just recently made a video of a gal who, who I wish it was ready, had been ready for this, but it's, it's not quite ready yet. Um, and she just tells her story, how she came to Hope Again, and she just wanted to come in and get cleaned up, and out, out she would go. But she came and had no idea that she was going to meet the Lord there. And within a matter of days, she met the Lord. And then all of a sudden, a job that she never had anticipated kind of opened up. And God has been doing some incredible things in her life. She said, I look back and think, this isn't any of the way I had planned this thing. But this is the best way. This is really working. Uh, it's not the way I planned, though. 
and many times in our, in our lives. In fact, I'm at Hope again, not because I planned to be there. That's another whole hour. You would have to be here till three to hear that one. Uh, not because I had any plans to do that, but because God moved along and said, that's what I want. And we had to follow uh, his plan to get there. So you, we need to understand and embrace our circumstances from our point of view and from God's point of view. Both of those are incredibly uh, significant. The guy hit by the train, he woke up in the hospital several weeks, months later, uh, weeks I think it was, and one of the next thoughts that came to his mind, now understand, he was an atheist. Up until this point in his life, he had absolutely no interest in nor time for God. Uh, he could have, he, he, if you would have asked him anything about that, he would have said, I am a proclaimed atheist. I, I, I have absolutely no belief in any of that God stuff. He woke up in the hospital weeks after this accident, and his first thought was, there must be some reason why I wasn't able to kill myself. There, there must be some reason why I'm still here. I wonder what that is. Now, I think he doesn't, I think he sees it this way now. He didn't at the time. I think that was the Spirit of God beginning to open his eyes. That was the phase one. As he got better in the hospital and as he got better and got home, he started to pursue the answer to that question. And he started to look at all of the different religions in the world. And he, he just methodically went through them. He was a very smart guy, very methodically went through all of the religions. And he landed on Christianity and said, this one seems to have the most sense to it. And so he began to pursue that one. Oddly enough, something led him to hope again. And I wish I could remember the piece, but somebody he knew that met somewhere had heard of hope again and recommended that he come here to get help with his continued rehabilitation from alcohol and his continued rehabilitation just in learning to live life with his face crushed in and, and some other issues in his body. And so he came to hope again. And not very long after he'd been at hope again, uh, he came to know Christ personally began to understand what that was all about, started attending a church, uh, started going and just began to just eat up discipleship. And uh, now you can, you can really, really rarely shut him up. He just, uh, he's just a walking uh, witness and testimony of what God has done in his life. Gone through some more health issues just recently, um, but he's there. All starting from wanting to take the worst part of his life, end it, coming back and a little voice in there saying, I wonder why. Isn't God amazing? You're in the midst of some very difficult, trying circumstances, and something in the back kind of clicks and says, why? That's God. Beginning to say, will you, will you let me lead you down the path I need to take you to get you to where I need you to be in order for you to do what I need you to do? It's an incredible, incredible thing. But it is a process. And the process is, is seen in this, in this chapter of Jeremiah. So let's, let's just keep going in Jeremiah, because there's some, there's some good things we need to ask. Um, what do we do in the midst of circ difficult circumstances? You've been diagnosed with cancer. You've got a child that's run away. You've got, you know, you, you name it. Whatever the circumstance you think is just overwhelming, how do we... 
live in the midst of that circumstance. That's where the people of Judah were. They were in captivity, living in the midst of very difficult circumstances, asking themselves the question, how do we do this? This is new to us. What do we do? How do we handle it? And Jeremiah says, verse 5, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Isn't that fascinating? What, in, in essence, it seems like he's saying, you're in captivity. Relax. Settle in. Because you're going to be there a while. This isn't going to be over tomorrow. You're going to be. You're going to need to find a plan for the long haul. In fact, pretty soon he's going to tell them it's going to be seventy years, but they haven't, he haven't told him that yet. But he's going to get to that. But basically, he's saying you're there. Learn to live life in the midst of difficult circumstances, because you might be stuck in it for a long time. What stands out in my mind is is pictures of. And stories of people who are, are, have uh, cancer. I don't know why I picked on that one today, but cancer or, or something, a, a, a very difficult illness. And while they're going through all the chemo and, and just where they're kind of miserable, another family member has a birthday. They go to the birthday party and they celebrate. Or there's a wedding and they get this, they rally this person and get them to the wedding. And they, because they're saying, it's so important for me to realize that this this thing that I'm struggling with is not the only thing left in life. There are happy moments. There, while I'm going through this, there are people celebrating. And I want to celebrate with them. While there's, so that while I'm in the midst of this difficulty, I want to understand that life goes on. Life is continuing to move on. And I want to be a part of that as much as possible. And so... I mean, kind of when I read this, I think of my Big Fat Greek Wedding, one of my favorite movies, where you just have the, the mother that just says, eat something, you know, just eat something. Let's have a party. Uh, let's get the people together. And when all else fails, eat something. And I married an Italian, and that's kind of what we do uh, whenever anything is happening. We eat something. And uh, it's usually hot and spicy and not good for me. But anyway, uh, that, that's, that's what we do. And, and that's a good thing because he says... Plant gardens, grow your family, increase. Seek the welfare of the city that you're in. Uh, pray for them. As they prosper, you're going to prosper. As they continue on, you're going to continue on. And so one of the things that as I thought this through, I thought, okay, so we're in a, a difficult circumstance. How do we evaluate this circumstance? And it seems to me that the first thing we have to do in any and we do have to do this at Hope Again with people, the first thing you have to determine is, is what I'm going through a result of my sin? In other words, am I, am I living out a consequence of sin? We know that sin has consequence. We know that as Christians, all of our sin has been paid for at the cross. We don't have to worry about taking any of, that, any of the repercussions of that sin with us into glory. It's all been, it's all been taken care of. But we also know that sin has repercussions. And sometimes the consequences of sin, we can't evade. And we can't, we can't just wipe out. Uh, those still continue. And so if you, if you continue to abuse 
a drug that maybe was originally intended to help a person, but you continue to abuse it, there's going to be some consequences in your body. There's going to be some consequences in your mind. There might be consequences in in work. Uh, The same with alcohol, the same with immorality, the same with any of these things. So there there is the possibility that a person coming to us, one of the first things we have to deal with is the sin issue and deal with, is this as a result of sin? But here's the, here's the catch. It would be wrong for us to assume that everyone who comes to us is there because of some horrendous sin that they've committed. Not everyone uh, has done that. Now, uh, a biblical example of that, you remember in John chapter 9, the disciples came and asked Jesus, they ran into this man who was born blind, and they asked Jesus, okay, Jesus, here's this man born blind. Who sinned, him or his parents? Because the assumption in that day was, when Jesus was on earth, the assumption was in that day that if you were suffering from a physical ailment, someone sinned. That's the only reason you would be that way. It was God's punishment against mankind. And so therefore, if you were a cripple or if you had leprosy or if you were blind, any of these things, that was because you sinned. Job kind of ran into the same problem with his friends. Their assumption was that that the, the, the cause and effect is very simple. You're sick because you sinned. But the truth is, it's not always true. Uh, and Jesus said, I'm going to set the record straight on this one right now. That's, that guy didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. Now, that didn't mean that they were sinless. It just means he's talking about how they got to this circumstance. No one was sinless except Christ. But he said that the result of this is not because he sinned or not because his parents sinned. The only reason this is here is because this is going to bring me glory. That's it. Now, that kind of frightens me, frankly, to realize that I could go through some things in life and the primary reason I'm going through it is because it's intended to bring God glory. But that's the truth. That's what the Scripture says. I I can't do much better than that. Uh, So the first thing we have to do is determine it was this sin. And we have, I can think of one gal, I'll tell this one story. This one gal that came to us, I learned in the last service she was from Egypt. I thought she was from Turkey. Uh, But I was corrected by the... Anyway, um, she's from Egypt. She came, she was an immigrant, married uh, an American, and uh, he married her, brought her over to this country. They were married for many, many years, several years, I think close to 20 years, some 30 years, almost 30 years. And then one day he came home and he announced to her that he had found someone younger and prettier and she was done. And so, Leave. He had arranged it before he gave, made that announcement. He had arranged it with lawyers in such that all of the assets were put in his name and his name only so that she literally left that house penniless. She had the clothes on her back and that was it. Any legal effort that we, that we tried, because we tried to help her do a few of those, any legal effort, anything else, all failed because he had so carefully hidden all of the assets. So she got absolutely nothing for 30 years of marriage. Um, even California law got screwed up on that one somehow. But uh, she got nothing. She was one day cooking dinner in her home, and that by that evening, she was on the street homeless. No car, nothing. Somehow she found her way to Hope Again, and we began to help build her life, rebuild her life, and she's doing fine today and uh, doing very well. That wasn't because of her sin. She did nothing you know, there are occasionally, there are innocent parties in this whole thing. 
Uh, you know, we could look at it and try to evaluate the marriage and we could go into all kinds of things. But the, the reality is I don't know of anything in life that really adequately describes a reason for that. And that happens. Sometimes it's not our sin. It is sin in general. It is sin because the world is filled with sin. Yes, but maybe not because of a particular sin that you committed. So if we, we deal with that issue. Then we go on and we deal with this passage, which basically kind of says, Bloomer, you're planted. You know, that, that concept of you're there. Make the best of it. You're in tough circumstances. Deal with it. Make it somehow make it work and make it work well uh, and kind of relax and then be confident that God is going to work everything out. Um, there is one, um, one other thing that we didn't read that is important in here, and I want to get this in before we go, and then I want to wrap this up. But if you look at verse 9, uh, verse 8, excuse me, verse 8, for the Lord says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying into your name. I, I did not send them, says the Lord. Interesting. Jeremiah was not the prophet that went. Several prophets did go. And what Jeremiah is saying is, they're all telling lies. For those of us going through difficult circumstances, what is he saying here? I think what he's saying is, be careful to not take the easy way out. What was happening here in, in historically in the, in the nation is that the, the prophets and the diviners and the dreamers were talking to the people of Israel and they were saying the exact opposite of what Jeremiah was saying. They were saying, don't unpack, you know, leave all the stuff on the donkeys because we're going to head right back again. We're here, but this is going to be over quick. going to be over quick. Babylons are going to be nothing. They're going to be wiped out by somebody else. We're going to be back in the land. Everything's going to be peachy. Everything's going to be fine. And the dreamers were saying, I had a dream last night and, and this is all going to take place. It's all going to be wonderful. And the people were saying, oh, tell me more, tell me more. And the lesson is when we get in tough circumstances, we look for easy ways out. We want to hear, we want to have, to, we want to have people come and tell us what we'd like to hear. So maybe if it's cancer, maybe we've heard about some quick fix down in Mexico and we're tempted to run. All of our friends are saying, no, don't go, don't do this, but we just, we want to go because we want the quick fix or we want, we want to get out of this mess or get out of this mess. The Church of Jesus Christ has certainly struggled over the years with false prophets and with those who, who come and just want to tell us what we want to hear and not tell us the truth and not stand on the solid truth as this church has been doing for all these years and is continuing to do. We, we listen, we want to hear what sounds good and will get us out. And Jeremiah is saying, don't fall for that trap. If ever there was a time when the people of God needed one another, it's in the midst of difficult circumstances because it is in the midst of, in, in the midst of the community that the community can be the safeguard around us to keep us from doing that which, would, that which is not the right thing to do, but leading us off into tangents that are not profitable for us. It's then that we need to come together as community and stand firm as community, hold one another accountable, be with one another, be there for one another, but keep us. And we need to listen to other voices because I can assure us that when we're in the midst of our most difficult circumstances, we're not thinking straight, usually. We need others to help us think straight. And that's really all Jeremiah is saying. He's saying, don't listen to these people. And then he goes on and says, and here's why. 
Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call on me and so forth and so on. He goes, 70 years. Do you know what that meant? I love the picture of this because what it meant was most of the people that went into captivity were not going back. Most of the adults, some of the, some of the young teenagers would probably live, live long enough. Some of the kids would maybe live long enough. But most of the adults, lifespan wasn't that great in those days, most of the adults were going to die in Babylon. And what Jeremiah is telling them, he doesn't come right out and say it, but what he's telling them is, you'd better start now investing in the next generation because if you don't, you'll have nothing. They won't even want to go back. And so I, I think this is what motivated this generation to begin to build into the next generation the desire to go back to the land, the love for the land, all of that, the missionaries and training that this church has, the, the emphasis that there is in Awana and all of the things that this church does to build into the next generation is to be applauded and is, it is incredibly biblical because that's what we have to do. We need the next generation to take over for us and that's exactly what he's doing. And we're going to end with this, and I'll close with a couple of questions if you want to ask a couple of questions. Became not only a great model um, resident, thank you. I was trying, I almost said prisoner, and I thought they're not prisoners at our place, they're <laughs> residents, but that's what happens after a couple hours. But uh, a model resident, he became uh, our house manager for our men's house. And he's today just coming back this last weekend. He had another major health issue that we had to work through and he was in the hospital for about another six or eight weeks. But he's back now and he'll be moving back into his role probably very soon. God has God has moved him in incredible ways and he would be the first to say, when I look back at my life, this is never how I would have planned it. This is not even close to what I would have planned. But then he'll say, but praise God, I couldn't I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more delighted with what God is doing. That's what we do. Uh, we seek to give hope. Uh, you can live a certain length of time without food. You can live a certain length of time without water. So they say, but the saying goes, you can only live a few minutes without hope. We have to have hope. We're sunk without it. But we get people who come in who are literally at the bottom of the barrel. They're looking up at the bottom sometimes. They have no hope. And our task, our joyous task, really, is to show them hope. Not just hope, but hope in Jesus Christ. Because without, without putting that into the equation, we're not putting much. There is some hope without him, admittedly, in this world. But the hope that we want to make sure people understand is the hope of Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to help us or help someone do this, not, not just us, but I think, uh, Vicki, if you could head out. We'd like to give every family uh, one of these brochures if we could. Our goal this year, I'm going to have to get real commercialized for a moment, just bear with me. Um, our goal this year is to rebuild our donor base. This last year we had to move our offices, if I can take just a minute to, to, to talk about that. Uh, we learned in early uh, May or uh, end of May that uh, the office building that we were leasing uh, on Sunset was being sold. And 
the owner had every right to do that. We had a month-to-month lease. So, I mean, I, people kind of gotten mad at her. And I think, what? Get mad at her. Not her fault. It's her building. Uh, she sold it. It meant we had to move. The only thing we could do in five weeks is what we were given to move was to move into one of our residences. So we had to uh, uproot our women and children um, because that was the house that best fit the needs for the offices and find new places for all the women and children, which we did. We were right up to the 11th hour to make it happen, but it, it did. God pulled through and it, and it happened. And they're all, I think, really actually in better places today than they were even when we were letting them go. But they're in new places. So we now still have three buildings that we own uh, outright. One of them is now the office building. One is for women and one is for men. So we have men and women. Uh, we also had to quit taking clothing because we had a, quite a clothing distribution. But when we moved, we lost so much square footage that we just have absolutely no room to sort it and to display it and to hand it out. So we have to let others uh, handle the clothing. We still do food. We can still handle the food. We still have a, an outpatient ministry. We still have a residential ministry. And in many ways, the program itself has gotten stronger because the number of walk-ins has decreased a little bit. We found that some of them, many of them, were coming really only for the clothes. Uh, that was the sad thing. You know, every now and then you kind of learn a sad truth. And the sad truth was that we found that we were giving away a lot of clothes to people in Hollywood who wanted nothing else from us, refused everything else. Every time we tried to do anything else, they refused it. And once we quit doing the clothing, they quit showing up completely. Um, and uh, what are you going to do? It, it, uh, that, that saddened us, but it's a sad reality, a part of the world that we live in. And so we've in the process, that was an expensive year, a lot of stuff went on. We're trying to rebuild the donor base. The, the, the guts of our donor base really are the people who give 30 to $100 a month. That's the core. We have churches like uh, Calvary Bible that, that give uh, a lot more than that, and we're very, very grateful in other churches, and we have some donors that give more. But really the guts of our program, and we have a budget of between 400 and, 400 and 500,000 a year, the bulk of that is people who give 30, 50, 70, $100 a month. And we need to rebuild that because people have died, and for some reason when they die they quit giving. I don't know. Talk about poor commitment, you know. But uh, anyway, um, that happens. People move. Other circumstances in life change. And so we're, we're seeking to rebuild uh, that $30 a month uh, donor base. So Vicky's got these brochures. There's, there's a story in each one. There's four different stories floating around. Uh, maybe someone could help her do this. I don't know. And, um, and along with that is a, uh, an envelope for you to sign up. And what, what we're really asking for is $30 a month for a year. And if we can't convince you in a year that it's worth doing, then you just drop off. It's okay. Um, the, uh, the, the envelope makes it incredibly easy. Uh, you just fill it out, put a check in, or we take debit cards, credit cards, PayPal. Uh, your mother-in-law will take any of those. Um, but we uh, will gladly do that, and we will keep you notified of what's, of what's going on at Hope Again. If you sign up today, if you'd come by the table and do that today, we've got a nice mug for you and a couple other things as well. We'd love to have you do this. Um, I know that you have a million things you can give to, and I, you need to give to what God puts on your heart to give. Um, and I'm not here to try to pull any other strings than that other than what God has laid on your heart to do. But if, if he has in any way uh, given you a vision to help people that are homeless, that are destitute, 
to come to have hope in Jesus Christ. We see somewhere between 100 and 150 people a year come to Christ. And we get the opportunity to help dozens of people get their lives straightened out. It works. The, the program works. Um, and uh, we would love to have you a part of that. 30 bucks is probably less than some of us spend at Starbucks in a month. If you do spend more than 30 bucks a month at Starbucks, probably you need to think about that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's your issue. Uh, might be the smallest check you would write in a month. A lot of things are, we do a lot of things for less than, for a, a buck a day. But combine that with several dozen others, several hundred others that do the same thing and we're able to bring hope to a whole part of the world. And uh, we would love to have you partner with us in doing that. I'm going to take, I know I've gone over, but no good preacher doesn't. So um, uh, I'll, I'll take like two minutes for questions. If you have any questions, I'd love to do that. Otherwise, you can come talk to me afterwards. And if there are none, then I'm going to close in prayer. But uh, any, any, I couldn't have done that well. Come on. Uh, yeah. Uh, we still have need for, you know, we occasionally need to clean things up. There's there's painting, there's like minor construction, those kinds of things. Um, sometimes a small group will come in and um, cook a meal, you know, like on a weekend or something, or an evening will come and cook a meal for all the residents just as a chance for them to get together and for the group to kind of interact with them and then maybe do a little worship time, uh, present the gospel, uh, have some of the group share their testimonies, um, that works really, really well. Um, yeah, Vicki, anything else you can think of? Um, yeah. Groups should just probably call us and we'll just work out something. We'll figure out if, what kind of skills you have, what you want to do, and we'll, you know, we make stuff work. Um, individuals, we're looking for volunteer receptionists. We've lost a couple of them. We try to, usually we have different receptionists each day. So either a morning or a whole day, if anyone is, you know, sitting around with nothing to do and would like to volunteer some time, uh, that would be that would be great. That's one of the current needs we have. Yeah. Men's, uh, we have room for about 15 men and about nine women, and we're almost full. So we have, I think, right now, I think we have 13 men and eight women, I think. Uh, so we're just about full. We're just kind of in transition with a couple of them, but... That's what we. That's what we could do a little bit more building in the men's house, and probably add another three in the men's house. But uh, fifteen, fifteen currently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Good questions. Well, you've been a great audience. Thank you so so much. Let me let me uh, uh, thank you. Let me close this in prayer, and we'll be on our way. Father, thank you so much for this day. You are a great and an awesome God. Uh, we could spend the rest of our days uh, worshiping you, and it would still not be enough, and we'll spend eternity worshiping you and enjoying every moment of it. In the meantime, Father, we know that life often is difficult and often has throws things at us, and we need, even in the midst of that, to find ways to worship you, to honor you, and to follow your pathway. And so guide us as we go through that. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who is just struggling with some stuff in life. Maybe others know about it, and maybe it's just something that only they are struggling with. But, Father, I pray that these words have been an encouragement and helpful to them. And pray that you would put us on your path 
And help us to come to that place where we can embrace those circumstances, get your perspective on it, and move in your direction. We will thank you, Father, and we will praise you for all that you do. Thank you for this group. Thank you for this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.